What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. starts right now live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, David Seberg, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, tech stocks feeling the heat, taking the brunt of today's sell-off, but one technician says this could be your best chance to buy. He will tell us the names. Plus, Tesla in turmoil. Elon Musk's own board can't control him. So just how soon could the SEC step in? And is his deal to take the company private in jeopardy? We've got the details. But first, we start off with stocks getting slammed today. Emerging markets coming in like a wrecking ball. Crushing the U.S. as fears over Turkey and China start to spill over. The Dow dropping about 300 points at the lows of the day, although it did close off those lows. Materials and energy stocks getting hit the hardest as the U.S. dollar continues to soar higher. The market here in the U.S. has continued to show signs of strength despite this global sell-off. But is the pressure just too much to withstand? And just how bad could things get? BK. Well, you know what's the global wrecking ball? It's the U.S. dollar. To me, that's what started this entire thing. When you look around the globe over the last week, not only have we seen the Turkish lira fall apart, but the South African rand, the Indian currency. Today we had Mexico, Europe. You had Italian yields going higher. So all these things have conspired to make it a pretty risky environment. And I've said it before. I'm probably on number four. I've got to say it about 13 times before people get it. But the dollar is the new VIX. The higher the dollar goes, it means the borrowing costs and the, re and the repayment costs for people who have U.S. dollar-denominated debt are much higher. And it, that's a problem for the emerging market. So to the extent that everything collapses into the center, the emerging markets are the first, the tip of the spear of the storm, if you will. And then it comes in to the U.S. So eventually, yes, it will get here if, as long as the dollar keeps going higher. Well, let me, I got to push back. Or, or let me ask you a question. Yeah. For the chicken or the egg, yeah. I mean, you could look at it either way, right? <clears throat> that trouble in the emerging markets sends a flight to quality, sends to the dollars. Dollar. Right. True. So, but you think that the, that, the, the dollar well, I, first... I, I, you know, I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. Maybe it's, you think it's, it's it doesn't matter. What, what is it? Is it a catalyst or an accelerant, right? One or the other, matter. here we are. Mm -hmm. And more, the, the more that the dollar moves, the worse the problem gets. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I agree the dollar is the barometer right now that you have to keep your eyes on. We can't really rally or go through back to old highs or, or to new highs without the dollar actually coming in a little bit. But I would say now is the time to bargain hunt in certain areas where you really can, you know, kind of look at and say, I, I'm optimistic about sort of the earnings trajectory, et cetera. So would I be bottom fishing here in the material names? A absolutely not. There's probably more of a downdraft there. Would I be bottom fishing in certain parts of technology? A hundred percent. I think you can step in and actually buy some of these names, the names that you structurally believe in the fundamentals for the longer term, and, and get some, some pretty decent valuations there. And, and let's look at Cat and Boeing as well. Let's, let's look where these stocks have come from. I mean, Boeing's up 133% since the election. Cat's up still 65%. Since the election, I mean, that's significant, you know, you know, moves to the upside. 
you know, I don't look at those as being destructive stories or stories well, that are out of tech. I think that they're still upside there, but I think they come in a little bit more. I, I think CAT, and I don't know if we can have a chart here the last two years, I think it's really important. This was a stock that was very range-bound for a couple of years. It broke out. It went up almost 100% or something like that. It's really given back a, a half of its gains, though, since the start of 2016. And that's a bit troubling because one of the reasons why that stock broke out when it did was because we were talking about global synchronized growth. We were talking about emerging markets really starting to kind of play um, and that was really a big part of what was going on here. And I think if you put all these issues about the dollar, all their overseas exposure, the trade talks, all the sorts of that's what's weighing on these sorts of stocks right now. So obviously Boeing, you mentioned that one. I mean, that thing looks like one of the uh, yeah. like an Internet stock. I don't even know what the heck it looks like. Um, but what interesting is it's also nearing some important support. I just want to mention this, though. You know, we're, we talk about industrials. The XLI, the industrial ETF, doesn't act particularly well. I don't think the bank stocks act particularly well. Housing doesn't act particularly well. Uh, auto stocks don't act particularly well. We have still, um, you know, pockets of strength in semi, uh, you know, uh, in tech stocks, but semiconductors are starting to roll over. We're going to talk about NVIDIA, I'm sure, a little later. So to me, I just think that the fact that the S&P is like literally within a percent of its all-time highs, right. but hasn't been right. able to break right. out. Well, but look at all the I mean, underpinnings are really look at what happened with copper today, right? You walk in this morning, yeah. copper's down 4%. If you overlay the CRB index with yield, right, and say that's kind of a barometer where yield should be, it suggests that the 10-year yield in the U.S. should probably be somewhere around 2.2%, right. right? So you're talking about a deflationary environment where the market's set up for an inflationary environment. And I think that's the change that we're going through now. I guess the question is, do you see a purge? Like, do you see people walking in in some sort of, like, fluster or panic? On the, I don't see it on the desk. As a matter of fact, the industrials and the self and the industrials today, the questions we were getting are, when do we step in and buy these? We don't necessarily want to sell. Is that complacency? But the bottom, but the bottom only buy happens when people no, panic. It's, yeah. it's August. It's August. It's summertime. People are on vacation. This is a very, very big vacation week. This weekend, next week, actually. Uh, and for Thanks the remaining, a lot, TripAdvisor. I mean, here's the thing. You very understanding of that. And look where but the market is. It's a low-volume environment. If all that is true, and I accept yeah. all that is true, right. then that's not really a floor that's being created, right? <laughs> at the all. thin volume at all, right? <laughs> I mean, to me, I always like to say, I love it when things are trading down in integers at a time. Because that just shows me indiscriminate selling. Totally. People panicked. They got to get out. I think we're starting to maybe see a little bit of that. I still watch the VIX. Over the dollar, right. the VIX spike. We have percent haven't seen Five that purge. Five days ago, the VIX was Agreed. at ten. Agreed. Uh, look, I agree with you. We haven't seen that purge, but I do. I do suspect. I do suspect there is a little bit more downside to the market, but the buyers will be there, and they will be there aggressively at some point. And I don't think it's a big downdraft. I don't think we're looking at another five to ten percent pullback in this market. Uh, the point that you made before that the S and P five hundred close to record highs right yeah. now. I mean, it's a it's a question of risk reward, yeah. right? So we're close to record highs. We ha we've had a strong earnings backdrop for most of this year, and that hasn't been the reason why stocks will get out of a, a, the range-bound move that, that it's seen. And yet we have all these other headwinds potentially on, on the horizon. So in this environment... Is a risk reward really to the upside? So, so it's funny. I think a lot. I think I think a lot of people. I think it's important to remember the S and P 500 was at 2800 in the start of July. It bounced off of that a couple times, right? And we got back to these levels, and we start playing the game. Are we going to break out? I think if we can get through August, which we keep having strategist after strategist saying this is a seasonally difficult period, then we get into the fall, and we have a lot of um, you know trade stuff that needs to be resolved before the election. And if there's a scenario, I see a lot of technicians saying, "Oh man, if you can get." 
get through some of this geopolitical stuff and the, the stuff here with our own election is pretty neutral. You see a breakout and you see a melt up of 10 percent, you know, like 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 that at the end of the year. And yeah. I can see that there's a lot of churning going right. on. But the problem I have is there has not been new leadership has emerged in the stock market. That's my issue. Even after everything that we've seen, the volatility earlier in the year with Fang, you know, right. now it, it's just like, you know, that's still the leadership, uh, oddly. And I don't really see any other groups picking their heads up. Well, it could be about to get worse before it gets better. That's at least according to our next guest. Let's bring in Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo Securities, head of equity strategy. How much worse could it get before it gets better? Um, we think you have about 2 to 3% downside. What we see with Turkey, we see a crisis of confidence. And everything with Turkey could look good, it can look good, and then one day we come in and it gaps down. And with that, what we would expect is risk product equities to trade down with it. But it's not a seminal event. This isn't the systematic risk in the system isn't exceptionally high. And so we would think a couple things would happen. The buybacks, the breadth and the depth of the buybacks would increase on some sort of pullback. The fundamentals are still quite strong. When we look at the economy, the economy is as strong as we've seen it in years. GDP, it's only going to get better in the short term. And people aren't saying to us, oh, my gosh, Chris, this is it, it's running hot. They're saying things are good and things are getting better. And that's what we see. And, and we see the same thing on the earnings side. Things are good, but they're getting better. It's not a house on fire. But when things come down, we like them more. When things go up, we like them less. You were talking about risk reward. It, when things come down, the risk reward to us looks better. And when things when we get closer to twenty nine hundred, the risk reward doesn't look as good. And so, so please. Well, well, so let me ask you then. Let me push back and say, OK, we have a emerging markets where yep. the growth has been right. are starting to implode. And it's not just Turkey. It's multiple countries that right. are having higher currency problems, even Italy with their higher yields today. People aren't talking about that. At what point does the magnitude they all in individually right. might be small, but the magnitude of all of them happening hurt the global economy, including the U.S.? So one thing and this is a theme we've been playing out for a long time. The market is becoming more discriminating. And so now, as QE painted everything with a brush on the way up, now that things are coming down, you have to price things based on their risk and on their fundamentals. Italy, Turkey, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a differentiation. You're seeing a discrimination. And things that are good will continue to go higher. Things that are bad will trade down. So we don't think that, that emerging markets will bring things down. It was years ago where people would say, well, the U.S. market, that's the, the cart that everyone attaches their horse to. We still think that's true. And if you look at the banks, if you look at earnings, if you look at the market in general, it's pretty solid. I don't see a whole lot of risk in the U.S. market. Obviously, there is some, but the systematic risk is Yeah, because you just said that, you know, this house on fire scenario for the U.S. economy. And we sit in here talking about whether the Fed is going to kind of scale back their expectations to raise, you know, one or two times in the right. next few months. I mean, that doesn't sound house on fire. That no. seems like, you know, all of this weakness underlying the major U.S. indices, which are the only ones in the, in the globe that are basically right. up on the year. It seems like there is a pocket of risk that's being underappreciated right here. <sighs> Okay, so let's talk about the Fed. The Fed is moving at a very measured pace, and that's a good thing. The Fed is now talking about where their neutral rate is. So they're driving down the road and they're saying, okay, where do we stop? The Fed is also talking about pausing. That's constructive. And Powell has been doing a good job. Pockets of weakness, you're always going to get pockets of weakness. What we saw in earnings season is if you miss numbers, there is a big penalty for that. The market, again, is discriminated between good and bad. And I don't know how to put it any simpler. 
Um, but when you look at the market in its totality, when you look at earnings, you look at the economy, you look at valuation, and when you look at sentiment, sentiment is in people aren't all giddy, they're not all excited, leverages, and there's not a whole lot of speculation, and usually toward the tail end of things, that's when you see So this that is a recipe in. for new highs by the end of the year? So we think, we think you go lower first, and then you do, you do make good, uh, better highs, or, or you make new highs, that, that is correct because of what we were talking about, because the economy, because of earnings, because we, we expect M&A to start to kick in. If we look at the funding markets, if we look at the credit markets, they're still wide open. There's still access to capital. Mm -hmm. When you don't have access to capital, that's when you worry. That's when you sell weakness. Not here, not now. All right. Chris, good to see you. Thank you. Thank Chris you. Harvey, Wells Fargo. What do you think? Well, I, I wouldn't want to get overly bearish here, but there are some very big macro headwinds out there that I think the U.S. market has to adjust to. And I think that's the process we're going through. Well, I could see a scenario where we melt up at the end of the year. That's entirely possible. Sure. But before we get there, you just got to be cautious. Why, why are you buying the market here at all-time highs? The five-year average forward multiple on the S&P 500 is 16.2 times. We have $178 of S&P earnings projected for next year, and that may actually go higher. That brings you and to go lower too. I the S&P, which is higher than where we're trading right now. So from a valuation perspective, I don't think we're stretched out at all. I think you just selectively need to be there and buying stock on dips that you find to be attractive names for the long term. What did you do today, Karen? I did a couple things today. Uh, I bought some Macy's, mm -hmm. which I normally, when oh. people really miss on earnings, I like to the wait a couple rule. of days, three-day yeah. rule. But I don't know, down more than six bucks yeah. on what I really didn't think. That wasn't a disaster yeah. at all. Expectations were probably too high going in. So that was interesting to me. I also bought some BABA calls. I mean, that space has just got... Ahead of earnings next week. Yes, ahead of earnings next week. So that's kind of a much shorter-term trade than I normally would do. But, I mean, that stock is like, you know, like the universe of those stocks there has just been obliterated. And I think the story is still very much intact. The valuation now is very different. Right. And then I have some S&P puts, and I will probably start to sell those tomorrow if we see any increase in the VIX. Yep. Coming up, the Nasdaq getting hit the hardest today as tech led the markets lower, but one technician says there are three names to buy on the dip. Plus, don't look now, but Bitcoin is rallying. What's behind the move and is the crypto crush really over? We've got the details. And later, stop tweeting. That's what Tesla's board members have reportedly been telling Elon Musk. Is he putting any deal to take the company private at risk? We will explain. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla in turmoil as reports that the board is trying to rein in Elon Musk. And this, as the SEC could be about to make waves at the company, uh, this is questions swirl about who exactly could fund the deal to go private. A lot of things going on. Let's bring in Leslie Picker for more on the story. Hey, Les. Hey, Melissa. The fallout continues for those two little words. Funding secured. It's been over a week since Elon Musk tweeted that phrase. 
a phrase that still has the power uh, to push Tesla's stock price higher or lower. Today, that phrase appears to have caught real traction with the SEC, uh, which has reportedly issued a subpoena to Tesla. Uh, that news, of course, sent the shares lower today. Against the backdrop of a regulatory pressure, it's becoming increasingly clear that funding was not as secured as the initial tweet led the market to believe. So shares dipped on that headline mid-morning and closed about 3% lower today. But any news showing that Tesla's moving in the direction of an actual take private actually seems to generate more optimism. The topic of the last few days has been that of advisors. And Musk, of course, tweeting that he was working with Goldman and others uh, to take on the take private, but none have actually come out on the record confirming the mandate until today when Goldman Sachs's research department sent a note to its clients saying it was effectively suspending ratings and price targets for Tesla because it's, quote, acting as a financial advisor in connection with a matter that is fundamental to the reasonable analysis of the rating and price target for this stock. Now, the New York Times reported that the board knows that Musk's tweets have become an issue and gave him an edict to stop tweeting. And he hasn't really tweeted today, guys. So maybe it's working. Although apparently he posted something on Instagram, I think of a dog or something like that. So he's gone to some other other social media platforms and done other things. What's interesting about the Goldman Sachs uh, putting Tesla on the restricted list, though, is it's unclear to who hired Goldman Sachs. Because Tesla has used Goldman, right, as their banker in the past for many other deals. They've also loaned Elon Musk money. So it could be on either side. Right. Either side being the board. The, the, the Goldman, the independent the directors of the board, or right, or, or Elon, Musk Elon Musk as the investor. Exactly, yeah. and this is this kind of thing is so unusual. Uh, in my experience as a previous M and A reporter, I've never seen uh, an investment bank come out with the research department saying that they're restricted on stock because there's supposed to be a Chinese wall there. Right. Um, but the nature of this situation has been so unusual and so backward uh, that you know normally you see. Uh, Advisors get hired, and then they negotiate a price, and they line up a buyer, and they line up the financing, and then it's announced. Well, this one's taken place in the reverse, so I think it's interesting that now the research department has to come out and effectively suspend coverage uh, of a company that they're supposed to be kind of Chinese-walled up against. Karen, a couple of days ago, you were basically on fire about the whole situation. So at this point, now that we have a couple more developments dripping out, what's your take? Well, I think it's some, some... trying to cover his tracks, right? I mean, clearly he should have had advisors a little earlier. Maybe during that securing the financing would have been a good time to have advisors. But, you know, I think that the board doesn't have control of him. They haven't at any point. I still think that the SEC situation gets much worse, not better. He hasn't filed a 13-D yet. I don't know what he's the... Got, he's got 10 days. No, no, time no. Period? He's got 10... You have 10 days from when you go over your initial 13-D filing. Uh-huh. Any significant change after that, you have to file as soon as practicable, which is really considered one day or so. Oh, so he's that's He's so passed. far over yeah. that, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and then the 8K filing, I mean... It's, they've done a horrible, horrible, horrible job at every turn. I don't know how it keeps getting worse, and yet it does. What the remedy of all that is, I'm not sure. I don't know if that's fines or something else. I don't think it's the firing of Elon Musk. I don't think that at all. The other issue is, can he get a deal done, right? That's a, it's an extraordinarily complex deal to do an LBO for a company that doesn't make any money, and yet he wants to do an $80 billion, $70 some odd billion, dollar, billion deal, dollar deal, right? If he can raise that much equity, great, but he doesn't want any big partners, right? 
So he wants a bunch of people to relinquish control into a private entity that's going to be probably more levered than it is now. It's a right. tough deal to do, but not impossible. Right. And, and there have been so many, you know, with Silver Lake allegedly or mm -hmm. reportedly being an advisor to Elon Musk, the comparisons to Dell going private are mm -hmm. enormous, right? Because that's the company that helped Dell, uh, Michael Dell bring the company private. Yep. But they're very, I mean, Dell generated cash. Exactly. Tesla does not do right. that. So it's a sort of, it's a different circumstance. And Silver Lake has never been in such a large deal before. And Dell was able, like you said, to take on debt. And they weren't doing this whole special purpose vehicle where investors uh, feel compelled to transfer their shares uh, and, and give them, you know, basically in this illiquid vehicle. Um, they have this liquid stock that they're then going to just, instead of taking the $420 per share, they're going to put it into this vehicle. I mean, locked up. Not, yeah. it sounds like something that would be a difficult sell to many investors, if not, you know, the entirety of that $70 Particularly funds deal. Right. like a Fidelity or exactly. Vanguard, yeah. et cetera, actively managed funds passively will have to sell. Mm -hmm. I mean, that they will have to get rid of their stuff. I, I think yeah. something that we just don't talk about a lot is this is a company, at least the, uh, the public equity was born out of a bull market that was in its infancy back in 2010. And that since then, they have raised $19 billion in equity and in debt. And they're selling one of the highest priced cars for no profitability, not at scale. This thing is a disaster waiting to happen. If they can't do a deal, we get into tighter yeah. credit situations. We possibly have global recession. We're already seeing weakness in China. That is supposed to be one of their massive and markets. The board, is, the board potentially is open to shareholders. Yeah, too. I mean, right. I'm just saying like, they're fighting against multiple timelines here right now, and he should stop tweeting. He should put his head down. He should stop thinking about Mars. He should really just focus <laughs> on this That's thing. Right. No, because I, I, just, right. I think we're going to find ourselves in 2019 yeah. with no Deal, and it's just going to be a disaster. Well, this is the story that keeps on giving. Leslie, thank you. Thank you. Leslie Picker. Coming up, check out shares of Cisco. They're up about 6%. The company reporting earnings moments ago. That conference call just about to wrap up. We'll bring you the latest details. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Just when you thought it was safe to get back into the water. Big tech is getting crushed, but a top technician has three names he says you can buy on this dip. Plus... Time to kick back, drink some beers, and smoke some weed. Yep, that's right. One of the biggest beer companies is going all in on pot, and it could spark a marijuana frenzy. We'll explain. Much more fast after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block it strikes when i'm at work that's why i choose canva magic write it works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to ai common side effects include increased productivity compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction now i can say bye bye to writer's block ask your boss if canva magic write is right for you at canva.com designed for work wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Cisco surging uh, in the aftermarket session. Let's head to Josh Lipton in San Francisco, who's been listening into the earnings conference call to tell us what CEO Chuck Robbins and Wall Street had to say about the quarter. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, let's start with Wall Street, what they had to say. I caught up with Piper's uh, Jim Fish just to get his take on the quarter. Two metrics he would highlight right away. Infrastructure platforms growth, 7% to a better than expected $7.44 billion. That's critical, referring to the company's core business there. He also emphasized the company's product backlog, hitting $6.6 billion at the end of fiscal 2018. That's a nearly 40% increase. Credit Suisse in a note telling its clients that Q4 results and the Q1 guide are very strong. That Q1 estimate well ahead of uh, Credit Suisse's estimates on revenue growth, but in line on margins. Talked about how security M&A integrations are solid, but margins expansion could be better. On the call, CEO Chuck Robbins talking about the quarter with analysts. Take a listen there. Our results demonstrate a combination of strong customer adoption of our latest innovations, the ongoing value customers see in our software and subscription offerings, and excellent execution across our customer segments and geographies. Our strategy is working, and we believe that we are well positioned to capture growth across the portfolio with our pipeline of innovation. Uh, in terms of potential risks out there, uh, Melissa, too, he, that Robbins talked about a stronger dollar. He talked about uncertainty in some emerging countries, but said that, they don't, that Cisco knows how to deal with such challenges. About those impending tariffs, uh, said they're watching them closely. They are, in his words, deep discussions with the Trump administration trying to get to a favorable outcome. For much more on Chuck Robbins, certainly tune in tomorrow when the CEO will be on CNBC to talk about this and I'm sure many other issues. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thanks so much, Josh Lipton. And we should note that uh, competitor Juniper is also up in the after-hours session by about 2 percent. Dan, what do you uh, make of the quarter? Kind of a surprising uh, guide, in my opinion. You think about since they last guide in mid-February, the dollar's risen about 40 percent. 40 percent of their sales come from outside North America. So if they are guiding to revenue growth a few percentage points above what consensus has, you're going to see estimate revisions. This is a company announced a $25 billion share repurchase back in February, the third largest U.S. company beneficiary from tax repatriation. They're making acquisitions. They just bought Duo. Um, 3% dividend yield, trades below a market multiple. As far as I'm concerned, I just can't see a reason why, given the confidence they had with that guide, uh, why this stock should be below 46 anytime soon again. Yeah, and if yeah. you just look at how it's traded since March, it's really been sideways, right? So the market is likely offsides here, underpositioned in a sense, and you have this opportunity for a big breakout. And all the things that they mentioned on the call are all the th that are okay and they're all right with are all the things we are worried about. So if they're not worried about it, then this is almost, a, I hate to use the word safe haven, but it certainly feels that way. Well, Cisco right now is bucking the trend that we saw in tech today. And just when you thought it was safe to get back into tech, sector took a hit with the Nasdaq having its worst day since July 30th. Let's get to Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange for more on this. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. It was a risk-off day with slower global growth concerns, the main driver, and that has an impact on 
growth stocks, obviously, particularly technology and consumer discretionary names. In the Nasdaq 100, high-profile names like Netflix, Tesla, PayPal, Microsoft down 2 to 3%. Smaller declines in Google, Facebook, and Amazon. Semiconductors, which reached their highs earlier in the year, like Glam Research, Marvell, KLL 10 Core, they were all down about the same amount. Now, the Nasdaq 100 also contains several Chinese tech stocks. The trading community was shocked when Tencent reported earnings that were 2% below the same period last year. That just does not happen. So JD.com, which reports earnings tomorrow, was down nearly 5%. Travel service provider Ctrip was down 3%. And internet search giant Baidu down 1%. They're all in the NASDAQ 100. All this sounds a little disappointing given that the tech earnings season ended on a really strong note. Technology earnings were up 25%. That was the market leader. The S&P tech sector and the NASDAQ 100 both hit historic highs at the end of July. But this is basically a one-day sell-off in tech, at least so far. For the most part, tech stocks have escaped the carnage that's been visited on commodity stocks by the rise in the dollar and concerns over Turkish contagion. Now, the Nasdaq 100 is only 2% from the historic eye it hit way back in July. The S&P technology sector is only 3% from its historic high. That's pretty small potatoes compared to the materials that are 11% off their historic highs or the 9% decline in energy or financials. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thanks. Bob Pisani, Thinawayasi. Our next guest says there are three tech stocks to buy right now. Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Hi, Todd. Hey, Melissa. Uh, first, let's take a look at the semis, as Bob was just mentioning. Uh, if you look at the chart and all the volatility that we've seen in here, I think technology has held up quite well. So this is the SMH on a weekly. I'm going to do pull out a little bit of Elliott Wave. I know BK likes to surf the Elliott Wave. I see us in a nice consolidation. So here's our first push for one, down in two. Beautiful breakout in wave three. This seems to be a bit of a wave four kind of holding pattern, sort of biding its time before we break out and move up in wave five. So I think semis have held in quite well. Stock, no surprise, that I'd like to trade here is NVIDIA. NVIDIA's held in very well. Again, just a lot of consolidation. No activity of downside support break. I like the look here. And if we just clear this and, and kind of outline, it's about a 265 level. Obviously, we've had a lot of, uh, we've had some upgrades here pointing to above 300. I do like to trade here. I'd like to try to break put a breakout above 265, and the risk-reward, that's a horrible R, is just below uptrend support. So I think you're risking 1x to make 3, 4, 5x. So I like NVIDIA on the top side. Um, next up is Amazon. And this is just one of the most boring, beautiful, uptrending charts within um, this beautiful parallel channel here. And guys, you got to make sure you switched over to your semi-log chart. You're looking at percent change rather than notional change. That's going to change the entire technical picture. And when you do that, you're going to see it's a beautiful uptrend. You can see that Amazon is really just kind of in no man's land here. It's really not overbought. It's not oversold. It, it, it really should have no problem uh, hitting 2K. And in fact, we won't hit resistance until you're about 2,500 in Amazon. So it does look like there's some more room to go in Amazon. Finally, the stock that I thought was acting really well today, I almost put the long on today, was Apple. Apple acted really strong in a, in a very bad tape here. Um, the stock looks great. Sort of that same kind of phenomenon with that parallel channel on a semi-log chart. Be sure to set your, uh, your charts that way. Um, you're going to see Apple's got room up to about uh, 225. Now, specifically, what I'd like to show you here, it's a very beautiful symmetrical chart. This advance right here was 142%. That sets a kind of a benchmark. That sets a precedent on the upside. Once you go back, recollect yourself, you're going to see these symmetrical moves more often than you think. And if you look at them, you'll see them. 142% move 
puts you at 218 in Apple. We closed just about 210. I think a nice short-term trade that I'm going to look to put on with my subscribers tomorrow is a, maybe a 210, 218 call spread. Um, and then ultimately, once you get to 225, that's when you reach um, overbought status. So I think technology held in pretty well today. Bigger picture, Todd, um, is, is broader tech in any sort of technical danger? No, it acts fine. And what's interesting, Bob was just talking about uh, China. Um, some of the Chinese Internet stocks, which have been a major source of, of volatility here. Um, take a look at KWeb. That's one chart I submitted for the segment tonight. Didn't make it on, but it's, it's pulled back. It's got a beautiful kind of support level from the uh, last couple of years. Old highs that were broke now serve as resistance. So I even think China is starting to, to find some support, Chinese Internet specifically, and and to take it off the tech uh, conversation, if we can, I think small caps acted well. I put on a long position in the Russell yesterday. It kind of took some heat on it today, but it still held uh, very well. So I I'm still constructive in this thin August market. August is very quiet, so it's going to be whippy. You just got to keep that in mind. All right, Todd, thanks. Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com. You know, we take a look at the Chinese Internet stocks. Um, they have been in a world of hurt for months now. It's not yeah. just yesterday. It's not just today. Do we take this as a story of the Chinese Internet stocks, or we take this as a sign that maybe there is that slowdown in China that, that could I, be crescendoing because it's of both, the tariffs? Right. Yeah. So okay. we, we've had the China, Chinese stocks in general have gotten crushed. Then the Chinese Internet stocks fell. Now we've had some decisions on, on games in China. So there's multiple different catalysts along the way. You pick which one you think is, is the most important. But to me, this is, you know, these are trying to catch a falling knife. And I would just stay away from these. There's not a lot of reason to try to catch these knives right now. Right. I agree. And a lot of the data that we've been seeing recently has not been super strong. Yesterday we had some total consumer, you know, data that came out roughly a little weaker. You know, I would say to you, Baba is a name, though. However, given the pullback, you'd be buying this thing aggressively on the weakest. It's a very, very scalable model, in my opinion. I think this level is a really great point to step in and buy the stock. On chairwoman-like yes. trade with buying calls and Baba. Right. I mean, just, you know, I, I, I love when there's just pain, right? There's buy when there's blood on the streets, even if it's your own. Happens to not be my own in this case. In other cases, it is. But looking at the, star, the chart here, 210 was the top not that long ago in June. So it's down, what, 160, you know, 20%? 20%. And all right, things maybe have weakened a little bit. Not, to me, this is just so overdone. So why not? Yeah, I can't put too fine a point on NVIDIA tomorrow. I do not agree with two technicians two nights in a row on the SMH. I'm seeing every major mega cap semi stock in correction territory, Intel, Taiwan Semi, um, Broadcom, Texas Instruments, the list goes on and on, except NVIDIA, which reports tomorrow night, okay, and there's a couple other that act okay. That's the one to watch. If you lose NVIDIA, you're going to lose the SMH. So Verone and Gordon, you say take your SMH and go home. Yeah, I'm swiping <laughs> one way or the other for those guys. I, mean, I listen, but I, I really do think it comes down to NVIDIA yeah. tomorrow. Coming up, pot stocks going wild as beer and spirit giant Constellation Brands takes an additional $4 billion stake in canopy growth. And it could be just the beginning, our cannabis king, Tim Seymour. I think we elevated him. Um, he'll be here. And later, Macy's worst day in more than a year after the stock drops 15%. So should you buy the stock at a discount or is its epic run over? Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Constellation Brands giving pot stocks a buzz today after making a $4 billion investment in one cannabis company. Aditi Roy is at 30 Rock with all the details. Hi, Aditi. 
Hi, Melissa. This is a huge and bold move by one of the biggest brands in the beverage industry. As a result of the investment, Constellation Brands stake in Canopy will rise to 38%. That's up from about the 10% it currently owns. Shares of Canopy growth surging on the news, ending up 30%, while shares of Constellation fell 6% in regular trading. Constellation Brands CEO Rob Sands told CNBC this morning he anticipated a little turnover among investors because it is such a bold move and it's not easy to understand the short-term economic value of the deal. But he was very clear about the long-term opportunity for the beer maker to get a toehold in cannabis. We're creating a fourth leg in our business, which is uh, the cannabis business. And, and number two, that this is, this is going to be a $200 billion-plus market by 2030. And uh, Constellation's really, through Canopy, taking a first-mover advantage of that. So we expect to take a, you know, a pretty significant share of that $200 billion industry. Analyst reaction appears to be mixed. Cowan saying in a note, we think the premium paid as well as the size of Constellation's investment reflects the long-term attractiveness of the global cannabis opportunity. But Tim Ramey cut Constellation's price target from 285 to 265, saying the company will have significant near-term impacts to its P&L. I also talked to Canopy Growth CEO Bruce Linton. He told me the opportunities to collaborate with Constellation go beyond just Infusing sparkling water with cannabis products. He mentioned marijuana-infused energy drinks, vaporizers, or even a marijuana chewable with a time-release function as possibilities in the future. Meantime, other pot stocks are also lighting up on the news. Shares of Afria, Aurora, and Kronos all flying high today. There's also been numerous reports that Molson Coors was in talks with several Canadian cannabis companies, including Afria and Aurora. Melissa, it seems like this story is never-ending. I thought uh, marijuana, this is according to what I understand of it, because I've never made you mellow. Isn't that right. the... I, mean, I read that uh, on so Wikipedia, like too. So, so in a, no, a no, cannabis-infused energy drink seems to be... It makes no sense. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, and I, I don't know firsthand either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I guess, I don't know, it does something to you, I guess. That's, yeah, I guess it gets you high. They're innovating, yeah. right? <laughs> just, just like drinking a six-pack of beer or having a few vodka sodas. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right, fine. Sorry. Sorry, we're just we're naive here. Thanks, Aditi. You bet. <laughs> Aditi Roy. So what does Constellation's bet on canopy mean for the cannabis industry? Could there be more big deals on the way? Who better to answer those questions than our own cannabis king, Tim Seymour, who joins us now on the Fast Line. More deals to come, Tim? Well, hello, Mellow Mel. Um, yeah, you know, look, this, this is another kind of hallmark week in the cannabis industry and what's been an extraordinary month with Tilray and Acreage doing the largest IPOs and the biggest U.S. listing. But the story here, you heard this earlier, Constellation is an emerging trends player in the consumer products business. So this is, this is a CPG play. We've talked about this on the show. Um, the fact that you know, we've also talked about how valuations in the sector are extraordinary and the fact that Constellation is willing to spend a 50% premium to already extraordinary valuations. And, and by the way, they have warrants to get them more than 50% control of, of Canopy. And, and they think this is going to be earnings accretive in 2021. I mean, that tells you all you need to know about the opportunity. Uh, but other guys in the space, the Green Dutchman, uh, uh, in Medrelief, uh, some of these guys that have made a commitment to building a brand. For everybody that talks about how prices are going to come plummeting down, this is why Molson is involved with hydro This is why uh, Constellation got involved 
with, with guys that they think are building the brand out there in Canopy. They're worried about being left behind while guys build uh, a name for themselves in the space. And look, if one of the biggest alcohol and beverage companies is involved in this kind of a way at this valuation, it tells you the big boys are all coming. Why do you think pharma's not in right now? Well, I think the, the, the regulatory landscape, especially for doing uh, research, is very difficult. I think it's interesting that J&J um, has you know, allowed access to their J-Labs in Canada um, for a handful of, of Canadian uh, medical producers. So um, I think pharma is around the corner. Let's face it, the, 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 the goodwill, the buzz, uh, pun intended, that could come for this industry that's suffering under the weight of an opioid epidemic, they need to offset that. They will be here. Uh, the legal hurdles in the U.S. make this uh, more difficult uh, at a time when I think the recreational market and the medical market in the U.S. is still, um, you don't need to be federal to be getting the FDA involved. And we've already seen some progress, obviously. Uh, GW Pharma has made mm-hmm. major inroads, and people will be there to follow. All right. Tim, thanks. Thanks for phoning in. Cannabis King. Talk to you soon. Tim Seymour on the fast line. So um, in, in terms of this play, is this really a bet that the U.S. is going to legalize recreational marijuana? I mean, what sort of yeah. legal <clears throat> things need to happen, regulatory things need to happen in order for this to be a good deal? Look, quite a bit. And I, and I do believe that. We heard it was very early innings, and this was a lot earlier than expected, them coming in and taking this this additional stake. I would say the setup here, and we talked about the Cowan Cannabis Conference out in, in L.A. several months ago, uh, you know, the setup for the space was this, that M&A was going to come in fiercely and aggressively. We're going to see more come over the top. I agree with you. The very good question about uh, about the uh, the big cap farmer, the farmer names coming in. Beer and in, 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 in tobacco are seeing erosion within their within the usage. I mean, we're seeing, I mean, across the board, just trends dropping off. We're seeing that obviously in big pharma with certain sort of franchises that need to sort of bolt on growth. This is the opportunity, and it's the long-term opportunity to play for both alcohol beverage and for, for Big Cat Pharma, I think. All right, coming up, Macy is getting crushed on earnings. The move has traders betting on a different retail stock. We'll tell you what that is. Plus, Bitcoin staging an epic comeback. Is the worst really over for the cryptocurrency, or is the big move just a head fake? More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast. Shares of uh, Macy's getting crushed today, having its worst day in more than a year. The retailer reporting earnings before the bell, despite beating the street expectations, increasing its guidance. The stock was down nearly 16 percent after saying sales were flat. The move dragging down the rest of its rival department stores like Dillard's, Kohl's, JCPenney and Nordstrom. So is today's sell off a warning sign for the sector overall? Or is this move just an overreaction? Berg. Total overreaction. I mean, in my opinion, I, I couldn't. Um, I, I was shocked it was down as much as it was. As a matter of fact, buying the weakness aggressively. Uh, a lot of these names. I mean, Macy's in particular, new CFO there, so maybe a little bit conservative on the guide, which maybe the street looked at and said were questioned a little bit. But you know, I, I would be absolutely buying the stock aggressively here. Is not a signal that there's something plaguing the industry. And you did. Yes. You bought. And I did. I mean, you know, that conference call. You could see if you look at when they started taking questions, and yeah. then they talked about. The gross margin in the third and fourth quarter, that was what really sent the stock. I, I mean, it's not like it was a high flyer and the, and the multiple really needed to come down. Mm-hmm. It's nine now. The multiple is nine. Yes. So I also agree that maybe there's a little bit of sandbagging her there. If I were they, I would probably tend to be a little bit conservative. I think everything else just ran up way too much going in. All right. Well, the world's largest retailer, that would be Walmart, reports earnings before the bell tomorrow. So let's get to Mike Co in San Francisco with more. Hey, Mike. 
Hi there. Yeah, so the options market is implying a move of a little over 4% for Walmart. That's higher than the long-term average of 3%, but maybe not surprising given the fact that the last four quarters have been a little bit bumpier. We did see bullish flows outpacing bearish ones on about double the average options volume. And one of the trades I noticed was a purchase of 1,000 of the August 92 calls. Those expire this Friday for about $1.13. So those are bullish bets that are being made that Walmart could go a little bit higher by the end of the week. And, of course, this is in alignment with what Dan highlighted on Options Action last Friday. <laughs> well, listen, I would just... I'm the only one who found that's, that That's what he was now. told. <laughs> wow. We were talking a lot about the technical setup. We're talking about sentiment, especially when you had Costco and Target very near highs. You know, Amazon makes new highs. This one has made what Carter Braxton Worth would say a bearish to bullish reversal at 90. You get through that, you get to that implied move, you're going to be at 95 pretty quickly. All right. For more Options Action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, Bitcoin bounces back. What is behind today's rally? Can you really trust this bounce? Our crypto baller BK here will break down today's move next. And let's take a peek at the Kramer cam. There is Jim interviewing Senator Elizabeth Warren about her brand new bill that gives employees of large companies a stronger voice in corporate decision making. Much more on that at the top of the hour. And stick around because we are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back. We are continuing our special coverage of crypto in turmoil. Wait a second. Crypto is not in turmoil today. Everything is awesome again. Well, sort of. That Bitcoin is rebounding after a painful sell-off yesterday. Our very own crypto baller, Brian Kelly, is over at the Plasma with what is behind this move. BK. Yeah, it's been a bit of a wild ride here. So let's take a look at some of the mechanics behind the Bitcoin market right now. So today we had CBOE futures expiration. So a friend of mine, Justin Saslaw, has looked at a lot of this uh, futures expiration. And this is at what happens to Bitcoin before and after expiration. So you see I have T minus 6, T minus 3, T minus 1. Here's expiration right there, okay? So prior to expiration, on average in 2018, you've seen Bitcoin down almost 7%. Then expiration comes, and the next six days, you see an increase of about 6%. And that's happened basically on average each of the expirations. So let's take a look at one particular one. Let me hit clear. We'll go to the next one. Now let's look at what happened in April, okay? So again, we have right after expiration, what happened to Bitcoin? We started low and we ended up at the peak, almost a 20% increase in Bitcoin six days after the expiration in April. Why did I pick April, you say? BK is going to give you an answer. Let's go to the next one. Take a look at this. I mentioned this chart the other day, but this is the number of shorts on Bitfinex exchange. Look at this big peak. You know when that was? That was April. Look at this here. That's now. So we're at another high. You saw today, and let me see if I can clear that last one. I don't know if you can see this, but you started to see the shorts come down. So there's a bit of a short squeeze going on. We now have this kind of short-term seasonality after futures expiration, and you have the potential for a big short squeeze here in Bitcoin over the next six days. Karen has a question. I do. So does this create any kind of floor for the other cryptocurrencies which have just been getting shellacked? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so they still are quite correlated. Over the last 60 days or so, Bitcoin really has been the leader. A lot of that had to do with the speculation about an ETF. But what you did see today is stuff like Ethereum, almost 10% off its lows from yesterday. Uh, Stuff like Stellar, still holding up quite well. So yes, if you get a you know, 10, 15% run in Bitcoin on a short squeeze, it should carry everything else up. 
Hey, hey Beek, so back in February, we bounced off of 6,000. That was a huge V reversal. Late June, you had a bounce off of 6,000. Yesterday, off of 6,000. Um, does it feel like you need a bit of a capitulation? Um, you know, something that's not like a kind of petered out sell-off and then a bounce to really get this thing going in the right direction? Yeah, it certainly does. And what you've, you've actually seen that in a lot of the other currencies. I'll mention Ethereum in particular. That has had uh, quite a bit of a capitulation. You saw some panicking out there. Uh, perhaps in Bitcoin you might see that, uh, that uh, capitulation. The one thing I would say, $5,900-ish is the high level of mining cost. We have a big miner, Bitmain, the largest in the world, that wants to do an IPO in Q4. That might act very much like a stabilizer for the Bitcoin market, uh, where the other markets have flushed out quite a bit. All right. Thanks for that, Beeks. Yep. Up next, we've got the final trades. Time for the final trade, Beakers. So I'm going to bookend it here. Yield should be lower. That means you want to buy some utilities, XLU. Karen. As I said, I really feel like this, this sell-off is way overdone. I like Baba going into earnings next Thursday, I believe. David Seberg. I'm going to agree with Karen on Macy's. I think it's overdone here. Be a buyer on the weakness. Yeah. I'm going back to the tip of the spear. Remember yesterday? Yeah. The whole yeah, oh, yeah. With yeah, lots yeah. of tip of the spear. You know, listen, I said this and I'm going to say it again. NVIDIA, if it's a great number and it can't rally, semi's going lower. If uh -huh. it's a bad number, bad guidance and it goes lower, SMH goes with it either way. For the spear. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.